Chapter 10 from the Life of St. Teresa of Jesus This is a Discerning Hearts recording read by Chris McGregor. The Life of St. Teresa of Jesus of the Order of Our Lady of Carmel Written by herself and translated from the Spanish by David Lewis I used to have at times, as I have said, though it used to pass quickly away, certain commencements of that which I am going now to describe. When I formed those pictures within myself of throwing myself at the feet of Christ, as I said before, and sometimes even when I was reading, a feeling of the presence of God would overcome me unexpectedly, so that I could in no wise doubt either that he was within me or that I was wholly absorbed in him. It was not by way of vision. I believe it was what is called mystical theology. The soul is suspended in such a way that it seems to be utterly beside itself. The will loves. The memory, so it seems to me, is as it were lost. And the understanding, so I think, makes no reflections. Yet is not lost. As I have just said, it is not at work but it stands as if amazed at the greatness of the things it understands. For God wills it to understand what it understands, nothing, whatever, of that which his majesty places before it. Before this, I had a certain tenderness of soul which was very abiding, partially attainable, I believe, in some measure, by our own efforts. A consolation which is not wholly in the senses, nor yet altogether in the spirit, but is all of it the gift of God. However, I think we can contribute much towards the attaining of it by considering our vileness and our ingratitude towards God, the great things he has done for us, his passion with its grievous pains, and his life so full of sorrows. Also, by rejoicing in the contemplation of his works, of his greatness, and of the love that he bears us many other considerations there are which he who really desires to make progress will often stumble on, though he may not be very much on the watch for them. If with this there be a little love, the soul is comforted, the heart is softened, and tears flow. Sometimes it seems as though we do violence to ourselves and weep, At other times, our Lord seems to do so, so that we have no power to resist him. His majesty seems to reward this slight carefulness of ours with so grand a gift as is this consolation, which he ministers to the soul of seeing itself weeping for so great a Lord. I am not surprised, for the soul has reason enough, and more than enough, for its joy. Here it comforts itself. Here it rejoices. The comparison which now presents itself seems to me to be good. These joys in prayer are like what those of heaven must be, as the vision of the saints, which is measured by their merits there, reaches no further than our Lord wills, and as the blessed see how little merit they had, every one of them is satisfied with the place assigned him, there being the very greatest difference between one joy and another in heaven and much greater than between one spiritual joy and another on earth, which is, however, very great. And in truth, in the beginning, 
a soul in which God works this grace, thinks now it has scarcely anything more to desire, and counts itself abundantly rewarded for all the service it has rendered him. And there is a reason for this, for one of those tears, which, as I have just said, are almost in our own power, though without God nothing can be done, cannot, in my opinion, be purchased with all the labors of the world because of the great gain it brings us. And what greater gain can we have than some testimony of our having pleased God? Let him, then, who shall have attained to this, give praise unto God, acknowledge himself to be one of his greatest debtors, because it seems to be his will to take him into his house, having chosen him for his kingdom, if he does not turn back. Let him not regard certain kinds of humility, which exist, and of which I mean to speak. Some think it humility not to believe that God is bestowing his gifts upon them. Let us clearly understand this, and that it is perfectly clear God bestows his gifts without any merit whatever on our part, and let us be grateful to his majesty for them. For if we do not recognize the gifts received at his hands, we shall never be moved to love him. It is a most certain truth that the richer we see ourselves to be, confessing at the same time our poverty, the greater will be our progress, and the more real our humility. An opposite course tends to take away all courage, for we shall think ourselves incapable of great blessings if we begin to frighten ourselves with the dread of vainglory when our Lord begins to show his mercy upon us. Let us believe that he who gives these gifts will also, when the devil begins to tempt us herein, give us the grace to detect him and the strength to resist him. That is, he will do so if we walk in simplicity before God, aiming at pleasing him only, and not men. It is most evident truth that our love for a person is greater the more distinctly we remember the good he has done us. If, then, it is lawful and so meritorious always to remember that we have our being from God, that he has created us out of nothing, that he preserves us, and also to remember all the benefits of his death and passion, which he suffered long before he made us for every one of us now alive. Why should it not be lawful for me to discern, confess, and consider often that I was once accustomed to speak of vanities? and that now our Lord has given me the grace to speak only of himself. Here, then, is a precious pearl, which when we remember that it is given us, and that we have it in possession, powerfully invites us to love. All this is the fruit of prayer founded on humility. What, then, will it be when we shall find ourselves in possession of other pearls of greater price, such as contempt of the world and of self, which some servants of God have already received. It is clear that such souls must consider themselves great debtors, under greater obligations to serve him. We must acknowledge that we have nothing of ourselves and confess the munificence of our Lord, who, on a soul so wretched and poor, and so utterly undeserving as mine is, for whom the first of these pearls was enough, and more than enough, 
would bestow greater riches than I could desire. We must renew our strength to serve him and strive not to be ungrateful because it is on this condition that our Lord dispenses his treasures. For if we do not make good use of them and of the high estate to which he raises us, he will return and take them from us and we shall be poorer than ever. His majesty will give the pearls to him who shall bring them forth and employ them usefully for himself and others. For how shall he be useful, and how shall he spend liberally, who does not know that he is rich? It is not possible, I think, our nature being what it is, that he can have the courage necessary for great things who does not know that God is on his side. For so miserable are we, so inclined to the things of this world, that he can hardly have any real abhorrence of, with great detachment from, all earthly things, who does not see that he holds some pledges for those things that are above. It is by these gifts that our Lord gives us that strength which we, through our sins, have lost. A man will hardly wish to be held in contempt and abhorrence, nor will he seek after the great virtues to which the perfect attain, if he has not some pledges of the love which God bears him, together with a living faith. Our nature is so dead that we go after that which we see immediately before us. And it is these graces, therefore, that quicken and strengthen our faith. It may well be that I, who am so wicked, measure others by myself, and that others require nothing more than the verities of the faith in order to render their works most perfect. While I, wretched that I am, have need of everything. Others will explain this. I speak from my own experience, as I have been commanded, and if what I say be not correct, let him to whom I send it destroy it, for he knows better than I do what is wrong in it. I entreat him for the love of our Lord to publish abroad what I have thus far said of my wretched life and of my sins. I give him leave to do so, and to tell all my confessors also, of whom he is one, to whom this is to be sent, if it be their pleasure, even during my life, so that I may no longer deceive people who think there must be some good in me. Certainly, I speak in all sincerity. So far as I understand myself, such publication will give me great comfort. But as to that which I am now going to say, I give no such leave, nor, if it be shown to anyone, do I consent to its being said who the person is whose experience it describes, nor who wrote it. This is why I mention neither my own name nor that of any other person whatever. I have written it in the best way I could in order not to be known, and this I beg of them for the love of God. Persons so learned and grave as they are have authority enough to approve whatever right things I may say, should our Lord give me the grace to do so. And if I should say anything of the kind, it will be his and not mine because I am neither learned nor of good life. I have no person of learning or any other to teach me, for they only who ordered me to write 
know that I am writing, and at this moment they are not here. I have, as it were, to steal the time, and that with difficulty, because my writing hinders me from spinning. I'm living in a house that is poor, and have many things to do. If, indeed, our Lord had given me greater abilities and a better memory, I might then profit by what I have seen and read. But my abilities are very slight. If, then, I should say anything that is right, our Lord will have it said for some good purpose. That which may be wrong will be mine, and your reverence will strike it out. In neither case will it be of any use to publish my name. During my life, it is clear that no good I may have done ought to be told. After death, there is no reason against it except that it will lose all authority and credit because related of a person so vile and so wicked as I am. And because I think your reverence and the others who may see this writing will do this that I ask of you. For the love of our Lord, I write with freedom. If it were not so, I should have great scruples except in declaring my sins, and in that matter, I should have none at all. For the rest, it is enough that I am a woman to make my sails droop. How much more, then, when I am a woman, and am a wicked one? Since then, everything here beyond the simple story of my life, your reverence must take upon yourself, since you have so pressed me to give some account of the graces which our Lord bestowed upon me in prayer, if it is consistent with the truths of our holy Catholic faith. If it be not, your reverence must burn it at once, for I give my consent. I will recount my experience in order that, if it be consistent with those truths, your reverence may make use of it. If not, you will deliver my soul from delusion so that Satan may gain nothing there where I am seemed to be gaining myself. Our Lord knows well that I, as I shall show hereafter, have always labored to find out those who could give me light. How clear soever I may wish to make my account of that which relates to prayer, it will be obscure enough for those who are without experience. I shall speak of certain hindrances which, as I understand it, keep men from advancing on this road, and of other things which are dangerous, as our Lord has taught me by experience. I have also discussed the matter with men of great learning, with persons who for many years have lived spiritual lives, who admit that in the twenty-seven years only during which I have given myself to prayer, though I walked so ill and stumbled often on the road. His Majesty granted me that experience which others attained to in seventy and thirty, and seventy and forty years, and they too being persons ever advanced in the way of penance and of virtue. Blessed be God for all, and may his infinite majesty make use of me. Our Lord knoweth well that I have no other end in this than that he may be praised and magnified a little when men shall see that on a dunghill, so foul and rank. He has made a garden of flowers so sweet. May it please his majesty that I may not by my own fault 
root them out and become again what I was before. And I entreat your reverence for the love of our Lord to beg this of him for me, seeing that you have a clearer knowledge of what I am than you have allowed me to give of myself here. <laughs>